Only recently has society begun to recognize the far-ranging impact of trauma on the entire person and the range of therapeutic issues which need to be addressed for recovery. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. And with me today is Professor Bessel van der Kolk. He is professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Boston University Medical School. He's also the founder and medical director of the Trauma Center, Brookline, Massachusetts. And he's the director of the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. But today we're going to be discussing his very provocative book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Thank you very much, Doctor, for joining us. Good day to you. How do you use the word trauma in your book, and what led you to this particular title? Uh-huh. Well, trauma is having an experience that is that feels interminable, where you feel completely helpless about doing anything, and where you say, oh my God, this is it. And nothing comes to your rescue, and you feel like you're totally helpless and unable to do anything. And why the title, The Body Keeping the Score? What does that mean? Well, that's, for one thing, that's what my patients have been telling me over the years, actually. It's something that uh, comes from a patient of mine who made a beautiful drawing about well, a drawing about her being molested as a kid and she was somewhere floating over that scene and she said my mind was able to forget it but my body always kept the score and then as we have learned more about the impact of trauma on mind brain and body uh, we have learned that trauma is held not so much as memories but as sensations impulses actions feelings and uh, when you do brain scans So our patients, your patients, experience symptoms. Really, their body is telling them something. Well, what are some of these symptoms that they might experience that would lead them to consider a diagnosis of trauma and to seek treatment? Well, I think most people think that they're more rational than they really are. Uh, uh, What I like to ask people when I talk is how many people in this room have ever said horrible, nasty, totally irresponsible things to the people they, they love. And nobody ever says that I've never done that. Uh, so almost everybody I know is capable of taking leave of their senses somehow. And that precipitates troubles. When you're traumatized, it happens to you all the time. And it, it, indeed, your, your rational brain cannot control your emotional brain, cannot control your survival brain. And your survival brain takes over and afterwards you feel ashamed about yourself, you feel like you're a terrible person, you feel like you're no good, or even worse, you may blame everybody else for the way you behave, in which case your prognosis isn't too good. When I was in medical school, the whole concept of cognitive behavior therapy and exposure therapy was really what we were all kind of taught. This combination of therapy, and even including drug therapy, doesn't seem to be working in the vast majority of people who have traumatic experiences. Is there some other modality, some kind of alternative types of treatment that may play a role and that you might have experienced and would like to share with us? Learning to inhabit your body is important. Learning to pick up the signals of your body. Practicing yoga can help you to familiarize yourself with your body and its movements and your breathing and 
basically what you need to do is to calm down the survival part of your brain. And you can do that by breathing, by touch, by being in sync with other people. In our study on yoga, we found that yoga was more effective for PTSD than any medication anybody has ever studied, for example. And so learning how to keep that brainstem of yours quiet and engaged and breathing calmly and softly is enormously helpful. The way I got into really treatment of trauma was uh, via EMDR, this, this treatment that I don't think most people would talk about it as an alternative treatment because the evidence for it is so outstanding at this point. And that is that by having people call up the memories in their minds and moving their eyes from side to side, uh, somehow the memories lost some of their power and became more of, this happened to me a long time ago, rather than I have to live this. And so for me, EMDR was really the opening to realizing that the way people get better is not necessarily by understanding and insight, but by really helping them to process their sensations and their feelings and their impulses in a different way. I just found out that EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and and Reprocessing. And so that is a modality that might help. It sounds like people with trauma are stuck in the past, that in some way a memory has ground their machinery to a halt and they're not living in the now. Is that a correct paraphrasing? That's correct. That's, that's basically correct. It doesn't mean that they're never in the now, but they're very prone to get hijacked to begin to live their current life through the past and to behave as if they're still being molested, as if they're still in war, and to not really see things for what they are right now around them. And so one of the things that, that many people in my field have discovered over, the, over time is that the, the most disturbing things about being traumatized is that it's so very hard to feel fully alive in the present. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickern, and joining me today is Professor Bessel van der Kolk, and we're discussing his book, The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Another technique that you describe in your book is psychomotor therapy. Could you tell us a little bit about that? The preamble for that, first of all, is that you can have trauma because of acts of commission, that people have done things to you, but you can also be traumatized by acts of omission, namely if you have been neglected or blamed or put down. There's a vacuum in terms of knowing what it feels like to be loved, to be held, and to be a precious person. And uh, so there are ways in which people can, with theatrical techniques, be able to imagine what it's like to be that three-year-old or that five-year-old or that eight-year-old again and to imagine what it would have been like if you had been taken care of at that particular time. So in a way, it is a treatment for trauma by omission rather than trauma by commission, not because of intrusive memories, but because you really never got to know what it feels like to be safe as a kid or to be seen as a kid. Well, is there a difference then, and you've touched on something that I'd like to pursue, is there a difference then between, say, the one-time trauma, such as your patient who kills an innocent man in Vietnam in front of his mother and continues to deal with this, and the chronic abuse of a child at home? Are they wired differently? Is the treatment different? How do you approach them? Or are they really the same manifestation of the same kind of trauma? It's almost a complete 
completely different phenomena. Uh, we started off learning about trauma from veterans, from people who had seen one or two or three terrible things as adults. And then slowly it became clear that a lot of people had been traumatized as children. Again, some, uh, we started off by specific incidents. And then as time went on and our research progressed, we got to see a lot of neglect, a lot of emotional abuse about uh, not being wanted. And there you run into a whole different phenomenon, namely that your brain is, our brains are social brains. And our brains mature on the basis of our experiences as we have as little kids. And so over the past 20 years, very slowly what evolved is a deeper understanding about what early childhood abuse and terror in the context of your attachment relationships does to your brain. And that is basically totally different from being an adult who gets assaulted or who has something terrible happen to you. Because your brain matures in the context of your relationships. And so if you have a lot of early trauma, it really affects the way that your brain gets wired. But in both, or maybe this isn't the case, why is there, do we see this compulsion to repeat destructive behavior, whether it's cutting or drugs or obesity or seeking unreliable partners? Why do we see this repetition based on something in the past, and how can we step in to change this? Well, nobody has figured out that whole picture. I mean, I, I try various issues there. One thing is that when you get abused and neglected as a kid, you don't develop a loving relationship towards your own body. And what you develop is a body that feels upset, freaks out, overwhelmed, scared, angry all the time. So your own body becomes your enemy and you don't have a loving, caring relationship to your body. And so you try to make those feelings go away. And so people discover that overeating and taking drugs makes those feelings go away. So there's a very high correlation between early childhood trauma and particularly drug abuse, but also a number of other self-destructive behaviors, which are basically behaviors to cope with overwhelming sensations and feelings in your body. So getting on a motorcycle and taking tremendous risks would be a way to avoid, you know, the dangerous place that you might think you're in. Yeah, and so what is striking is that when you have this chronic history of trauma, you tend to feel very out of it, you feel numbed out, nothing means very much for you, and when you expose yourself to something that's really dangerous, like driving a hard at 100 miles an hour on the highway, you feel alive because you get very, very high adrenaline rush, and that's the only time that you feel alive. I remember in the movie Hurt Locker, Jeremy Renner, who plays Sergeant James, feels alive when he is taking a risk at defusing a bomb, and yet when he returns home, he can't relate to his children. Is this an example of emerging in wartime experience that you see in veterans? Oh, that is, the Hurt Locker just nailed it, uh, nailed that issue. And the big challenge is for traumatized people is how do I feel alive while dealing with my kids? How do I feel fully alive just taking care of cleaning my house and cooking and having my day-to-day -day experience? And that's because the mind and the brain is changed to really be shut down most of the time. And so part of what needs to be done is to open up that mind again to feel alive in the present. No, certainly the returning veterans, that began really, if you look back in your book, you describe people writing about 
the stress of war in World War One, and then really not following up on it. But certainly veterans have brought the whole subject of post-traumatic disorder to the forefront. But do you think society, our society, is really conscious of trauma as a medical entity, or even being able to code it correctly? The denial of trauma is just, for me, unbelievable. That we know how many kids are traumatized in this country. There's between one and three million kids get reported for child abuse and neglect every year. That's 15% of our children get abused and neglected. We know exactly what happens when people go to war. After every war, about half of the soldiers become drug addicts and become unemployed and un- unable to take care of their families. And that happens war after war. After every war, there's a lot of suicides because people cannot really engage in the present. And yet, when there is a war to be held, everybody says, oh, our heroes are going to go abroad and liberate ourselves. And nobody talks about the price that's going to be paid because the same price gets paid after every war. As it is a very profound dishonesty about the consequences of sending people off to war or the consequences of having kids live in dangerous schools or in dangerous environments. We know what the consequences are of those things. And the price for it is gigantic. Before leaving, I would like you just to tell me a little bit about the Trauma Center at Justice Resource Center in Brookline Center. The Trauma Center, well, we're just a little clinic that is treating traumatized kids and adults, mainly poor people. We mainly are a Medicaid clinic. And we are, for the past 30 years, we are interested in finding new solutions for all problems. So we got the first grant to study yoga, for example, and we now have an active yoga program. We got involved in something called neurofeedback, playing computer brains with your own brain waves to change the patterns of engagement in your brain. It's uh, my major research, research, research right now. And so and we did the first EMDR study. So we're always looking for new solutions for all problems. Uh, for example, in my book, I also write about how uh, theater programs can be enormously helpful for traumatized people to, to put what happened to them out there and to learn to be fully in the present. So we have a program called Trauma Drama, where we play theater pieces with traumatized kids and help them to be fully alive while engaged in their theater program. We are very exploratory people. We're, we're, we don't think, oh, we have found the answer. Let's just all do the same thing. It certainly sounds like you're opening a whole new area, and I really appreciate you meeting with us today to discuss your book. And certainly I would say, after reading this thought-provoking book, you've left us with the knowledge that trauma is now one of the most urgent public health issues, and we have the knowledge necessary to begin to respond effectively. The rest is up to us. Thank you. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard. Thank you for joining me, us. And if you've missed any part of our broadcast, you can download us on ReachMD.com.